Hello and welcome to CMO Convo, the CMO Alliance podcast where we dive into in-depth conversations with CMOs and top-level marketers and what it means to be a great CMO. This week, I'm speaking to Gaston Torn, Google alum and currently CMO of Appear Here, on the benefits of being a great storyteller as a CMO. Hi Gaston, how are you doing today? Hi Will, all good and you? I'm I'm great. I'm very excited for this conversation. Um, like storytelling, very near and dear to my heart, both as an advertiser and from a personal background. So I'm very excited for this. Um, but before we get into that, like maybe we'll just introduce you to the audience. Um, like get into your like your background, how you became a CMO, um, and how maybe how you pr- approach it. Like if you have a kind of philosophy into how you how do you, you go about your business. Yeah, definitely. So um, I am the CMO of Appear Here. Um, Appear Here, the easiest way to think about it is, is kind of the Airbnb for retail. Uh, what we do is we make it super easy to book a retail space. Uh, before us, it, it could take up to six months to rent a shop. Although it sounds easy, actually, there was a lot of bureaucracy involved. And what we do is really simplify that. And, and some you know brands are launching with us in less than one day in a, in a physical space. Um, before appear here, um, I work at Google. So um, I started my career in big tech. Um, I had different multiple marketing roles um, in Argentina, where I'm from. I also work in Brazil, New York, and in London. Um, and I also had some startup experience. So I work um, at the Dune Bumble. I was CMO for, for that company. And I was also um, CMO uh, at EMA, which is a D2C company. Awesome. Um, and you, you've also got a background in creative writing as well, which kind of leads into what we're talking about today. Um, does that, as, do you bring that into your CMO role? Is that something that like, has helped you with your role? Yeah, definitely. So um, it's quite interesting. I have always been a nerd. I love studying. And uh, when I finished my undergrad and started working, I always wanted to do a, a master's. And um, you know, I think it's, it's quite common for marketers to think, well, I'm going to do a master's in marketing. And, and I thought, what's actually the skill that I really want to develop? And what's actually like a skill that I think, you know, the marketing industry is going to need? Um, because there's a lot of talk um, in marketing around storytelling. But what I found is that usually there's a lot of bullshit around storytelling, not real um, interesting uh, storytelling advice. And I thought like, you know, the best place to really get uh, good storytelling advice is probably taking a course with other writers and, and you know, screenwriters. I have always... Um, love writing um, on the side. And I thought like, you know, if I can improve those skills, it's going to help me not just personally, but also um, my marketing. And it has been uh, life-changing. It's been a really good experience. I did this marketing part-time at Oxford um, and I met a lot of really good screenwriters and also writers that um, contributed not just to improve my creative writing, um, but also to improve my marketing and copywriting. Because I think it's uh, me personally, I think a lot of um, people who get into particularly like the content and copywriting side of marketing, just as like the start of their career, they do get into it to tell stories. It's like an intrinsic part of marketing. Like I think about some of the best adverts that I've ever seen have a great story to them. That's the kind of stuff that I want to do. But do you, do you think that's maybe something that's getting lost in the weeds with a lot of CMOs? Like, do you think they're losing sight of that? I think the whole marketing industry um, has lost a bit side of what's the purpose of marketing in a business, particularly I think with the obsession uh, around technology and data. Um, it looks like sometimes data becomes the purpose and um, the actual goal, where actually I think like data and technology are just means to uh, do what, what 
only marketeers can do. And I think in the end, marketing is all about influence. Um, what we're here to do is to bring the voice of the customer, the voice of the user um, to the heart of the organization, to try to influence our, our organization to deliver value to that customer or that user. And at the same time, I think, is influence that customer and that user to use our product or services. So it's all about influence. And I think um, communication language, creativity, probably are like the most effective tools and technologies to achieve that. It's not really about technology, it's about understanding human behavior, understanding what's the inside um, behind any campaign and then delivering on it. I think it's probably like the most important uh, focus that we can all have as uh, marketeers. And I think we can learn a lot from writers. I think writers are probably like, um, you know, it's one of the professions that it's all about people watching and really trying to understand human behavior and motivations. Um, and I think if we if we can probably like learn from, you know, any other profession, it's that one, because as marketeers, we really need to understand motivations um, behind human behavior in order to, to do great work. And, and a really good way to understand human behavior is to construct a story about it. Like if you think about um, like Catcher in the Rye and um, To Kill a Mockingbird, they weren't written by the protagonists of the novels. They weren't written by an adolescent or a, a preteen girl. They were written by writers who understood how to get into those mindsets. And they're still held up today as like great examples of getting into those those, those demographics, I suppose you want to call them demographics mindsets. Uh, is that something that... Um, the marketers can really benefit from is building that kind of a story to get to understand people. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the most exciting marketing jobs I think is probably um, targeting a campaign to, to an audience that, you know, is completely different to who you are. I think it's something that um, allows you to put yourself in the shoes of a completely different human being. But in the end, I think we're all human. So I think, you can really understand what's the motivation they hear because I think you're never too far away from, um, you know, the experience of another human being. I think um, empathy is, is incredibly important for that. But I think we can learn a lot from, um, particularly I think what writers do very well is avoid kind of like having assumptions um, about people. It's really like holding judgment. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, good writing is, is all around holding judgment. You're not here to write like a political manifesto, right? Like when you do fiction, you actually hold judgment so much that sometimes it can be very controversial, right? If you think about one of the best novels of the 20th century, like Lolita, um, it's very controversial, right? Like it's, it's, it's the mindset of a pedophile. Like, oh my God, like I, I'm completely in opposition. I mean, like everyone would be completely against um, that kind of sexual behavior. But at the same time, I think what that book does really well from a fictional point of view is that it holds judgment. It's not really telling you um, this character, what, you know, he's doing is wrong. And I think that's why it's so effective as a piece of fiction. For sure, like, you know, from a, morality and ethical point of view is, is, is a terrible like you know examples yeah um, but I think what it does very well from from a writing perspective it really holds judgment it really allows itself to explore completely different mind and I think it's something that you need to do also in marketing if you are going to be for example marketing um to uh old people um today I saw a campaign that I thought it was fascinating it was a campaign um actually talking about sexuality um when when you're old um, and I think, you know, probably like the common sense and the judgment is like, well, that demographic doesn't have as much sexual activity, but what this 
campaign data is that I completely hold judgment and actually explore what are the motivations, what are like, you know, the hopes and fears um, of that group. Um, and then I think that's that's why it feels so real. Um, I think it's because it allows itself to go against the norm, hold judgment, and really tell the truth from the point of view of um, the target audience you are trying to just speak to. Lolita is an interesting reference point because I think one of the big things with that book is the how beautiful the prose is. It's very well written, and that kind of dra- draws you into the mindset a bit more because it's the, such this like artistic, beautiful prose. Is that something that we need to look at more as marketers? Um, like SEO seems to restrict a lot of the ways we were able to write about things. Like, is there a, a sort of a middle ground we can reach where we're, we're ranking well on Google, but we're also able to write good prose in our content and copy? I think if you're writing copy just to rank on Google, I think probably you're doing a disservice um, to your own marketing. I think, um, you know, first of all, I used to work at Google and one thing I can I can guarantee you is like algorithms change all the time. So it's really hard to predict what's going to be ranking highly on Google. I think what you need to do is amazing content. And then if you do amazing content, people are going to be interested in it. And the algorithms at some point are going to favor what you're doing. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes we underestimate the importance of content and the importance of writing um, just, you know, great, uh, I think, great content for, for the audiences that we try to influence. I think, in a way, going back to what we discussed previously, it's all about influencing your target audience and then using the insights from that target audience to influence um, the way your company operates. Um, I would focus on that rather than you know, trying to trick the system. If you do amazing content that influences your target audience, in the end, uh, at some point, you know, that's going to really pay off. If you try to trick the system by you know, adding one keyword here, one keyword there, um, you're just doing a service, I think, to your brand, but also particularly to your customers. So think about this from a, a CMO perspective, though. How do you communicate those ideas to the rest of the C-suite? Like they want to see data they want to see facts they want to see you presenting this all planned out with like a strategy that they can understand you can't just go into the the boardroom say like beauty's truth truth is beauty this is what we're going to do now um you kind of do need evidence to back up what you're advising yes i think um definitely you always need to have very clear kpis um that allow you to understand are you making progress or not towards the goals that the business cares about? Um, I think then the way you go about it, the how is up to you as a CMO. Um, my current company, for example, I have two clear KPIs that you know everyone is aware of. I think that's that's probably like the first piece of advice I would give to any CMO when you join a business. Your responsibility is to really, really try to nail down what's the impact that marketing has for the organization. Don't expect someone else is going to tell you that. Like, it's up to you. And really, you will have to even corner your CEO and tell him, like, or her, what are you expecting from marketing? Like, what do you spend marketing to deliver for the business? This is what I think marketing should deliver. Do you agree or not? Then, based on that discussion, define at least two or three KPIs that are super clear. Um, and really show the impact of marketing and get agreement with the rest of the C-suite to make sure that everyone is on the same page. And I think after that, the how is up to you. 
Like it's, it's, it's your own remedy. For sure, like you're going to consult, you're going to make sure like everyone um, is on the same page. But I think what you need to really focus on is getting agreement on like the high level metrics. Um, and I think, um, you know, going back to your question, I don't think uh, being creative and being bold with your vision um, means not caring about KPIs or analytics. If anything, I think it's, you know, we need to focus on being amazing at creativity and storytelling because is a much more efficient way to make sure that you hit those targets and you really hit those KPIs. I suppose having that focus on creativity as well means you're going to attract better talent as like a team builder. Like people want to work for companies that allow them to be creative. Like I know certainly from my own experience, like I've always wanted to work in companies that allow me to like push boundaries to some extent when it comes to what I'm writing. But like at the same time, it is within the marketing sphere. But Having that kind of focus, having that kind of guiding light means you'll be able to attract better talent, surely? Yes, definitely. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of companies, unfortunately, are so focused on the short term that they don't allow themselves to, to be creative. Um, and I think sometimes you need to use your common sense. Uh, sometimes, yes, that that creative that you did that is really bad probably is going to deliver more, you know, installs or downloads or whatever is your KPI. But just take a step back and, you know, as a human being, ask yourself, what do I think of this brand after seeing this creative? If it's not something positive, then start questioning the data. I think a lot of like um, startups, particularly, they almost become slaves of uh, data without being able to have um, any kind of critical thinking um, around like, look, does this make sense? Um, And I think if it doesn't make sense, then question your data because if you believe in your data like just blindly i think again you're not really um focusing on on what marketing you should do because what what marketing is all about is not about data it's about influencing people um data is just a tool that allows you to understand if you're doing that effectively or not i mean yeah if you look at some of the the best adverts of all time like i I really doubt there was data to support what they went with as as the direction but when you look at like the connections between the story they're telling and the brand, it makes so much sense. Like um, the Guinness Surfer advert is one of my favorite ads of all time. I, it, I'm sorry to any American listeners, I, I recommend checking it out on YouTube. It is amazing. Um, but the, the, just the idea of a surfer doesn't make sense in terms of data and connection with Guinness, but in terms of like the anticipation, the imagery, it works perfectly and it's stuck with me. It's one of the reasons I'm in advertising and marketing to begin with. Um, and I guess being willing to tell those kind of stories, it takes, you did say before, like the willingness to take a bit of a risk with what you're putting out there with the types of stories. Like, Do you have direction in how you can communicate the need for those risks to the C-suite and to, to your team as well? Like, if, you, if you've got a big idea that you think is definitely going to work, how do you get that idea across the line? Yeah, I always use a quote actually from Andrew Lang, um, I love when he says, like, most people use statistics like a drunk mom, uh, sorry, like a drunk man uses a lamppost, <laughs> more for support than illumination. Um, and I think that's something that happens a lot in marketing. Like, I think a lot of marketeers use statistics or data just to support, um, you know, a previously kind of like held belief rather than trying to illuminate a new truth or a new insight. Well, I always recommend uh, marketers, and particularly, you know, when you join the C-suite and you're a new um, 
CMO, I think it's important to, to, to you know, spend a lot of time on this, is really trying to understand how your specific team or function can contribute to help other functions or teams. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I got when I, when I became CMO, um, it was like, you're not part of the marketing team anymore. I was like, what are you saying? I'm, I'm actually leading the marketing team. I am the CMO. And they were like, no, no. Like from this moment, you're not part of the CMO, uh, sorry, from the marketing team anymore. You're, now you're, your role is to be part of the executive team. And I think that was a re really big shift of mentality because it allowed me to think, okay, if I am part of the executive team, then I need to understand the motivations um, and also the needs of my colleagues. Um, and then that allowed me to start communicating to them um, in a more effective way. Um, I think in general, like, it's quite interesting to see that, you know, marketing is all about, as I mentioned, like influencing customers and users. But in general, most marketeers and most CMOs, we're pretty bad at influencing our own internal organizations. We, we don't do a lot of like good marketing around marketing within the companies we work for. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that we, you know, something that we all know is like, in order to influence your target audience, you need to understand the motivations and needs, and then you need to speak their same language. Yet when we're working inside an organization, we don't do that. We go and speak to the CTO and, you know, we talk to them about like our new campaign without even questioning like why would, you know, the technology and engineering team care about a marketing campaign. But then if you can frame it in a way that becomes more interesting to those stakeholders and also shows them the impact that it's going to have for them, not for you, um, I think it's it's probably like, you know, the most effective way to get buy-in from the rest of the C-suite. So, so it's getting them involved in the storytelling process as well. It's making it a, a shared story that you're all telling together as a company. Yes. And I think particularly as well, um, going back to their own experiences, um, I think the more you know them, the more you can be like, oh, do you remember that time that you told me about this? Um, well, I thought about it and this is how I developed this new idea. And more importantly, I think if we launch this, it's going to have this positive impact on your KPIs and on your team. Um, try to always show how you care about them, not just care about you and your team. I think that's that's something that you know as marketeers we do we do it all the time externally, but it looks like you know internally we forget about it. Well, even even within marketing teams, you can have those kinds of conflicts, can't you? Like between um, copywriters and design teams, there can be a bit of conflict in what's possible in that. I think being able to communicate that kind of philosophy through the rest of your team has got to be an important thing as a CMO. Um, encouraging that sort of collaboration within the rest of the marketing team. Is there, is there a way you go about that specifically? Yeah, I would say like, you know, it's important to, to have the end goal and particularly our customers in mind in order to solve any issues. Um, we're not coming to work uh, to defend our ideas no matter what. We're coming to work to do amazing work for our customers or our users. So um, I think in those cases, it's important to always you know, put that at the center of any discussions. I think sometimes we just get a bit lost with our own egos, but I think when you let your ego kind of like calm down and actually focus on what's the end goal, what our customers want, um, usually you can find much better collaboration and you know, most conflicts 
become um, quite easy to solve. So circling back to the idea of great storytelling and how we can incorporate it more into to marketing, what should be on a CMO's reading list? What should they have on their bookshelf? What should they be reading and why? Like who particular do you, who do you draw from for inspiration when you need inspiration? So my first recommendation is if you have any marketing books or any business books on storytelling um, in your bookshelf, like please throw them away <laughs> and like burn them because actually they're not going to give you any good advice. Um, the best book I have found uh, for storytelling advice is a book from Hemingway um, that is called On Writing. Um, and it's the advice that Hemingway gives um, to new writers on how to tell better stories. Um, and I think it's just, it's fascinating because that book is, is now a bit old, but a lot of like, you know, the recommendations that he gives to writers really apply to contemporary writing, but not just to contemporary writing. They also apply to um, marketing. I think one of my favorite pieces of advice from that book um, is how important it is to focus not just on the positive side of things, but also show the negative side of any character or the negative side of life. Because if it's all like, this is like literally what he says, kind of, it's like if it's all beautiful, if there's nothing ugly in it, we cannot believe it. Um, and I think that's probably like where 99% of marketing storytelling fails. Like we, we're always trying to show the shiny side of things. We're always trying to show like, you know, people running through the fields, having an ice cream and being happy. Um, and that's not life. Like life can be miserable. But actually, when you show that, that side is a bit more negative and, and it's a bit more um, perhaps like, you know, less nice. You connect with your customers at a deeper level and, and a more meaningful level. Well, yeah, because they, they'll just get like that, that brief serotonin boost from seeing that happy image, but it's not a memorable image. You remember the conflict, you remember the emotion that you have from, from seeing something. So um, even just like a bit of humor, like humor requires on conflict, essentially. So even humor can be a good way of getting that kind of emotional connection. Like you think about the ads and pieces of marketing that you see that stick with you. It is the stuff that has maybe a bit of sadness to it. Like, um, big thing in the UK, of course, is the John Lewis Christmas adverts. And they always have like a little bit of sadness, a little bit of nostalgia to it. Like, and they've got it down to an art form, but I think they're, they're a great example to look at, I think, in terms of storytelling from brands. Um, would you agree? Yeah, completely. And I think one word that you use that is uh, completely, you know, the focus of any good storytelling is conflict. Conflict is is a story. Like if I have to say like, what, what's a story is conflict. Um, I actually love um, a quote from John Le Carr. Um, you know, he died last year, unfortunately, but um, he says, the cat sat in a mat is not a story. The cat sat in a dog's mat is a story. You need a dog, you need conflict to make a story interesting. And actually one of the questions I, I always ask to my team, like whenever they present me an Instagram post, they present me a press release, I always ask them like, who is the dog? Because if there is not a dog in that piece of communication, there is not a story, it's not gonna be interesting. So always think like, who is the dog in your story? Who is the dog in your presentation to the board? Because if there is no conflict, people are going to probably switch and like turn off and, and go to the next um, post or the next um, website because, uh, you need conflict to, to make people interested in, in what you are saying. 
Hemingway, um, going back, going back to Hemingway, he's a good, he's a good example in terms of like writing style as well. I think for a lot of writers, um, uh, content writers, because he, he started off as a as a journalist. I think like his writing style was already based on like the journalistic standards from was it the Daily Star he was writing? For? I can't remember Chicago Star, I think it was or something like that. Um, so, but does it does that mean every writer has to write in the same way? Is there room for style stylistic differences? Like, are we stuck in this sort of like homogenous way of writing content, or is there a way to sort of break out of that mold? No, I think for sure you need to like find your own voice and your own style. Um, there are some, I wouldn't say principles, but there are like some, I think some elements of good writing that tend to hold true, like no matter what's your style, but also maybe your style is actually breaking, um, like try to completely disrupt those, those uh, rules or elements of good writing. I think one that Hemingway does really, really well, um, he calls it the iceberg theory. Um, and I think any, any writer should know about it. It's that, you know, you only want to show the tip of the iceberg uh, in, in any good piece of writing. I think sometimes, again, it's another mistake that a lot of marketing makes. It's like, we, we're, we're just like too explanatory. Um, I always um, like to say like, you know, when, when marketing teams say like, we need to educate um, our audience about X, Y, Z. Nobody wants to be educated. Like, you know, nobody wants to know more about your bank app. Like they don't care. Like, honestly, as a user, I don't care about like, you know, your product or your service. I just care about, you know, what's in it for me. So I don't need to be educated. Just show me the tip of the iceberg. Show me what I need to learn about that product that delivers value uh, for me. But like, you know, don't, don't explain me the whole thing because as a user, um, or as a target audience, any target audience, they don't want to be educated. They don't have time for you. They only have, you know, just one minute or two minutes to really get value out of, you know, the advert or the piece of communication that you're putting together. So you're letting them fill in the gaps, basically, with like the possibilities of your product. So in a way, you're giving them a way to tell their own story in their own head. Um, so it's giving them a framework and then letting them fill in the gaps, basically. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, you mentioned uh, the John Lewin's upper, so, you know, they're like kind of, you know, the most important probably um, examples of good storytelling um, in the UK. I think all of them, if you, if you, if you think about them, they, they don't tell the whole story. They're really good at omitting some parts of the story and then letting you come up with, with that. Um, that whole story. I feel like one of the most beautiful ones is like one about Elton John. Um, and it's just beautiful because he doesn't tell you the whole story. It just shows you some moments uh, of that life, but then you can see how they connect. And, you know, it's still moving to see um, those elements. You don't need to explain why buying, you know, a piano from John Lewis is going to create the next, you know, Elton John in the UK. They just do it by, I think, suggesting um, that story with just like some pieces of, you know, the life of Elton John. But then that does kind of rely on the audience having preconceived notions about Elton John. Like everyone, everyone in the UK knows who Elton John is and everyone's got some kind of emotional connection to his music. Would that story work as well if it was just a random concert pianist? Probably you will need a bit more of, um, you know, what writers call like the setting, right? Like you, you will need to elaborate a bit more on, on the character. But I think 
in general, like there are some archetypes that we can all relate to. Um, I think the archetype of the underdog, um, which is in a way like, you know, this story has a bit of that, right? It's like that kid um, who, you know, was not coming from a privileged background um, and, you know, nobody probably like believe a lot in, in him beyond his mum who bought him a piano and then becomes like one of the most important, um, you know, singers and like one of the most important musicians in the world, right? There is that element of like the underdog, which is quite like universal in a way. Um, I'm not from the UK for sure. Like I know Elton John, I think Elton John is like almost a like universal, um, you know, musician, but I think I can still relate to, to this story because there is that element that goes beyond um, each specific kind of like cultural context. And I think it has more that element of, you know, someone that know they believe in, like it suddenly succeeded. I think that's that's pretty like a story that is pretty much universal. Um, even if you think about, you know, some of the stories we have been telling for centuries, like, you know, Christianism, it has that element, right? Jesus Christ was probably also, you know, the underdog. In yep. the, in the Born in the stable, yeah, yeah. And for 2,000 years, we have been telling that story now. Well, that's an interesting point. Like the, the reason we have these archetypes and cliches and storytelling is because they work. Like people do respond to them. And I think we have this idea of personas in marketing. Are they that different from archetypes? Like, should we be marketing to archetypes rather than personas? Well, I I think we need to advertise to people. And I think, you know, although archetypes work, um, I think you need to make sure that your marketing is as nuanced as possible. Um, I don't use like I don't use personas at all, like in marketing. I always think they're fake. Um, I think like you know, whenever you you start putting together personas, you always come up with like Cindy who lives in like Manhattan <laughs> and she goes every morning to have like a latte at Starbucks. And you know what? Cindy doesn't exist. Like nobody is Cindy. Um, I think it's much more effective. One thing that I I, I do all the time with uh, the marketing teams I lead is I try to identify 10 to 15 of our key customers. Um, and within the team, we have a discussion where we start kind of like putting, putting out some hypotheses about um, those customers, but they are real customers. It's like, you know, Sarah, X, you know, who works at this company and she used our service like last month. So we start like, you know, just guessing like, you know, what, what do we think Sarah likes when it comes to content? Like, what do we think Sarah, um, you know, likes about our service? What do we think like Sarah hates about our service? So we do like almost like a session where we brainstorm and we, we have some hypothesis around like this real customer. And then what we do is like, in my case, it's more like a V2V service. We contact Sarah on LinkedIn and we're like, hey, Sarah, we love working with you. We would love to have a coffee just to get to know you a bit better. And literally in that first conversation, we tell her like, look, you're one of our core customers. I know this is a bit weird and creepy, but we we have some hypotheses about, you know, what kind of content you like. We would just like to validate them if they're true or not. Um, and what you see is usually that whatever you thought you know, Sarah like is probably the opposite of what she likes. Um, and I find it like a really, really useful exercise because it helps me tell the team that stereotypes don't work. Um, what we assume our core customers like is not 100% what they like. And we need to get to know them better. 
Um, so that's my recommendation as well for marketing teams. Don't use personas. You don't know your customers until you actually speak to them. Uh, try for sure, like, you know, to have some hypothesis about who they are, but then go and speak to them and try to validate them because you're going to find so many new insights, so many new ideas. I own actually like even new channels that deliver a lot of growth for the company because I spoke to customers and they told me like, no, I don't use that channel. Actually, I use this other one. And then I started advertising on that channel and I saw, you know, tremendous growth for the company. I suppose that's also a good exercise in terms of customer retention. Like you're you're giving buy-in to um, your customers into the direction you're taking the marketing. They, they'll be more invested. They'll be more likely to continue to be customers if they feel they're being listened to. Yeah, definitely. I think you know everyone loves to provide feedback on services and products. And I think if if you show them that you care. Um, and you show them that you're interested in improving your product and, and your marketing using their feedback. I think it's a win-win situation for everyone. And I suppose you're, you're sort of spreading that spreading that web of people who are helping you tell the story that is the brand as well. So the more people you've got involved in that, the more people, it'll be more of a shared vision, I suppose. Agree, yeah. And I think going back to the beginning, I think, you know, I said marketing is all about influencing and influencing doesn't mean talking. Influencing, you know, probably one of the most effective strategies to influence someone is listening to that person. I think listening is so underestimated. Um, I think most marketing teams still um, are kind of like, you know, the chatty team that is all the time talking, talking, talking. Um, but if you want to influence another human being, the best way to do it is probably listen to, you know, what that person has to say and then go back to them and like deliver a product or a message that considers what they said. Like making them feel, um, in a way, part of the story is going to be much more efficient to to influence someone than you know just talking without having a two way conversation. I mean, I think it, it ties it. One of the things I'm quite interested in terms of storytelling at the moment is the potential with video game storytelling and how you get people get quite invested into being able to choose different routes and stuff and tell their own story. And I suppose by giving customers that kind of buy into how you're telling the brand story, it will engender a lot more of, a, of an emotional connection to it. Yeah, definitely. I think particularly when it comes to interactive storytelling, um, there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of room to, to grow in that area. I actually did my dissertation as part of my master's um, around interactive storytelling. Um, it has worked particularly well for children. I think children like um, interacting with stories quite a lot. Um, I think for grown-ups a bit less. And I think it's probably because as adults, I think we have to make so many decisions in our everyday lives that whenever we watch a story, um, we just want to kind of like almost like chill and like, you know, be like led into a story that we don't even have to make decisions about. Um, but I think that doesn't mean that you wouldn't consider um, your audience's feedback before you put together that story. It's almost like, you know, perhaps the story doesn't have to be interactive, but definitely the production process needs to be interactive. Like you need to consider uh, the point of view of your customer when you are crafting that story. But then maybe getting customers involved in some kind of decision while they're watching the story could be a good way to go. Like you don't want, the, the, just to be like another piece of content they consume while they're relaxing. You want them to have that kind of emotional connection. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I think it's it's part of like any good user experience, right? Not just marketing. Like I think when you when it comes more to product, product marketing user experience is making sure that 
you personalize your content, you personalize the user experience based on the needs and, and based on the, the, I feel like in general, like the behavior of that customer, that user, um, it doesn't mean that you need to ask them explicitly what they need. Perhaps by using some signals and considering some interactions, you can already start personalizing that experience um, without having to ask explicitly, what do you want? Yeah, I mean, listening just means paying attention to them, doesn't it? It doesn't mean you have to ask them questions. You can just be be in the room with them and see what they're doing, basically. Like whether the room is your site or your like your app or something like that. Yes. And I think particularly considering the gap between what people say and what people do is, is really important. Um, I think when it comes to testing messages, for example, uh, I always prefer live testing over um, market research. Um, I think that's something that a lot of startups, I think, are moving into that direction. I think it's the right way, right, right way to go. It's rather than you know telling people like, look, do you prefer this message or this other message? Rather than doing that, why don't you just run an A/B test on Google or Instagram and you see where people are actually engaging and like what kind of like um, you know interactions you get from from different messages? I think um, light testing helps you in a way. Um, try to reduce that gap between what people say and what people do. Because most times as human beings, like we're not completely conscious of what we need. Um, we think that we need something, but then in the end, our behavior shows something completely different. And I think it's important to acknowledge that gap because human behavior is not literal. Um, human behavior is complex um, and it has multiple layers. And I think you need to understand that, um, you know, it's not that people are lying. It's just like, you know, we're not conscious sometimes um, of 90% of like what we're doing. We just do it, but we're not even conscious of why. I think that sort of ties back into examples from great writers. Like, uh, Shakespeare, if you look at like, the differences between like the folios and the editions, how he tweaked lines and stuff, he was tweaking them as audience was watching them, as audience was re- were responding to them. Like we, pro- we probably don't have every single rewrite he ever did, but I'll bet he was sitting in the stands saying that didn't get a laugh. I'm going to cross that out. That didn't get the response I wanted. I'm going to change that. Um, so it's, it's it's yeah, it's a living manuscript that you're working on, your marketing. It's something you can, you're constantly changing it depending on the responses that you get. Yeah, completely. I think still we have this stereotype of writers being like almost this romantic writer that's like, you know, alone, like yeah. writing in a mountain, like something that, you know, can inspire. And then it's not like that. Look, you're always writing for someone. Um, you're not writing in isolation. Actually, like the, the, the act of writing, the act of doing marketing is already a communication act. You're doing it for someone. And if you don't acknowledge that someone, probably you're going to fail because there has to be you know, someone that needs to be considered. And you, you can, I feel like it is one thing that I learned actually for, from my undergrad. Like before I did this master's in creative writing, um, I did... Um, an undergrad in communication in Buenos Aires. Probably like the biggest takeaway um, from that, um, like that undergrad is that communication is always an illusion. Like it's, it's always something that we think it happened, but then it, it didn't happen. Like pro- probably like, you know, whatever message you put out there, people are going to interpret it in a thousand different ways. Um, and I think your job as a marketeer is to almost predict those thousand different ways of interpreting the message and try to narrow it down to whatever message is, is more um, effective to 
you know, the product or the company that you're you're promoting. Um, but it's really important to consider that uh, your message is going to be interpreted in, in thousand different ways because communication is never straightforward. Do you think, uh, sort of tying this back, you mentioned um, your undergrad in Buenos Aires. Um, do you think the fact you've lived and worked in so many different places has sort of given you a bit more of a skill to get to understand different perspectives? Do you think it's something that all marketers should aspire to do is to have the sort of like diverse, like different different types of working environments? Yeah, I think it's it's very important. Like, I mean, for sure, I was um, quite privileged that company like like Google really sponsored my international career. But I think everyone who who has the opportunity to to have an international career, I think they they should hundred percent go for it. Um, not only because you learn how different we are, but also you learn how similar we are. Um, I think usually um, I find it quite interesting that in every country people start like almost assuming like, oh, this is the way that Brits we are. And this is the way that, you know, I live in Brazil. This is the way Brazilians, like we we behave in this way. But then in the end, you actually find that they're all pretty much similar. It's like in the end, like I think human beings are, are you know, we're one species and, and we operate in, in very similar ways. So it allows you to understand, first of all, like, yeah, how how diverse we can be, but also how similar we can be as human beings. And I think there are some, I wouldn't say it's universal truths because I don't believe um, in universal truths. I think definitely cultural nuances and social constructions affect everything we do. But at least you start understanding some human insights that I think can really um, really become powerful for, for your um, own storytelling. I think no matter if you're British or if you're Brazilian or if you're American, um, you're scared of certain things. Um, and I'm sure like, you know, no matter in which country you live, uh, you're always trying to pursue happiness and you're trying to pursue something better for your life. Um, those kind of like elements, I think, are quite universal. And I think if you can use those insights into your advertising, I think they're going to be um, much more effective, no matter like the market that you're, you're working on. And and great stories go across cultural boundaries and go across national boundaries. Like like I said, Shakespeare before, but there's plenty of other countries that um, stories that are told all around the world. Um, even if it's not the same names, same recurring themes, same recurring characters, uh, archetypes, and stuff like that. Um, so a great advertising campaign should be able to cross those boundaries as well. Surely, yeah, and I think it's even more important now than ever uh, to cross those boundaries. I think. Um, the last few years, the world has become a bit more protectionist in a way. I think there has been a rise of nationalism and a rise of, um, I think, anti, yeah, almost like anti-diversity or anti-immigration policies worldwide. Um, and I think our role as marketeers is also to fight for the world that we want to see. Um, and I think if we can try more conversations about how in the end we're you know, pretty much similar. Like if, if you're Mexican or American, um, you, you have very similar fears and hopes and you know, you're pretty motivated by similar things in life. So building a wall, for example, between the two countries is, is not just inhuman, it's irrational. Um, and I think you know, if you can contribute to that conversation that you know, tries to unite people rather than you know, trying to create walls, I think it's, it's something that, uh, brings even more value to any professional in the marketing and communications industry. Definitely. Um, I don't want to attribute too much 
ethics to huge multinational corporations. But one of my favorite campaigns of recent years was the, the Share a Coke campaign. Very simple message, very simple way of communicating this sort of like connectivity between people and a great way to kick off stories because that was the whole point of it. UCG, getting people out there posting about the way they're sharing a Coke with their friends and stuff like that, different environments could be in. And it was a way for going back to what you said about um, giving people the space to imagine the possibilities with the product. Uh, I think it was just a, a really wonderful campaign in that respect. Yeah, and also the purpose of, of that product, right? Because that product's all around um, creating shared moments. So um, it reminds you of that purpose without having to be salesy. It reminds you of like more like why, why people would use it. Um, so yeah, again, I don't want to attribute as well, like a lot of uh, success to a big corporate, but I think, um, is a good example of how um, just going back to some of those human insights can help you tell stories that are meaningful and, and hopefully also drive a positive impact in the world. So I, I think, oh, we're good. yeah, I think that's a good note to leave on there, Gaston. It's been awesome. Um, before we do uh, tie it off, do you have any final advice about storytelling or any any writers that people should definitely check out beyond the people we've touched on so far? Um, let me think about this. Um, final piece of advice. Um, I think my final piece of advice is to make sure that in your marketing, you're telling the truth of your product or service. If you go out of like, you know, your marketing circle, I think most people have bad feelings when you say the word marketing. I think a lot of people outside like you know our marketing community think that marketing is disingenuous or marketing is something that is here to trick you um and probably they're right like a lot of marketing you know tries to trick people and tries to um be disingenuous about their own products and services but i think the best marketing is probably the one that you know tries to use the negative sides of your product or service to your advantage to create human empathy. Um, so telling the truth words and all, I think it's probably like one of the best marketing strategies you can do to tell really good stories. Just maybe to share one example that I love is from um, Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's, it's not a brand that I would consume, um, but what they did when they ran out of chicken in the UK, I think the campaign they did was brilliant because a lot of corporates, what they would do in that case, like just maybe for international audiences, like KFC ran out of chicken in the UK and then suddenly they had a shortage across the whole country. It was crazy. The whole country went berserk. It was insane. Exactly. I, I mean, like, that. it's very bad, right? For like, you know, a fried chicken um, brand to run out of chicken. Um, most corporate brands, what they would do is try to hide and be like, you know, we are sorry, apologies. Like we had a shortage of chicken and very robotic and not actually human. And actually, if you were running a fried chicken shop and suddenly you ran out of chicken, what you would say is like, fuck, we are sorry, we ran out of chicken. <laughs> and that's what they did. They literally had an app that said like, fuck. And it was like, you know, the, the logo in verse, FCK. And then it, they were like, we're sorry. And I thought it was, you know, much more human and much more relatable because that's the way that probably you would you know react um, as a human being. So my advice would be tell the truth and act as if you were you know a human being all the time. And I think 
this is weird because we are human beings, but I think sometimes as marketeers, we get so lost with technologies, tools, data that we forget, you know, what makes us human. And if, I think if you go back to what makes you human and what would be your reaction as a human being to certain situations, we will probably do much better marketing. Oh, fantastic. That's a great note to end on. Um, thank you very much for your time, Gaston. Um, thank you very much for listening, everyone. And we'll be back soon with some more CMO combos.